0: I'm guessing that most of us have seen the movie Forrest Gump, the 1994 film starring Tom Hanks as the title character. The, the movie chronicles the journey of this fictional character, Forrest Gump, as he journeys through life with a rather simple mind, but an enormous heart. As a young boy, he struggles with malformed legs that require braces that make him walk differently than everybody else and in turn incur the ridicule of his peers. When chased, though, by some hoodlums, however, he finds the braces falling off of him, and the discovery that not only can he walk, but he can run. And boy, can he run. And through his life, that's what he does. He runs. In fact, at one moment in the wake of his mother's death, Forrest decides that what he's going to do is that he's just going to run. And, and run he does with with no destination in mind, Forrest just takes off running across the country for three years. He runs from town to town, state to state, crisscrossing the country and, and people start to take notice, and they start following him and running with him and, and and no one knows where they're running. they just are running for three years. and then, out in the middle of the western desert, Forrest decides. He's going to stop running, and he turns around and tells everyone that he's tired and that he's going home, and home he goes back to Alabama. Sometimes the only thing you can think to do is run. In our Old Testament lesson, we heard the story of, about the great prophet Elijah and Elijah has been faithful as he can be in his prophetic office. He has been as courageous as can be speaking the truth to power. He has been as successful as he can be in facing down the false prophets of a false god. But but to be a prophet means that a lot of times you have to make your fair share of enemies, people who don't like to hear the truth. And there came a point in Elijah's life when he figured he had more enemies than he did have friends and that the wicked queen Jezebel was after him him, so he decided to run. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran. For 40 days he ran, because sometimes that's the only thing you think you can do. Even the great prophets will take to running. Well, Luke doesn't tell us much about these travelers to Emmaus in our New Testament story. They have been through a harrowing week in Jerusalem. They have watched their rabbi and supposed lord being confronted by the religious authorities. They've watched him being betrayed. They have watched him being tried and falsely convicted. They've watched him carry the cross to Golgotha. They've watched him being crucified and laid in a tomb. And now there are rumors of an empty tomb and angels suggesting that he's alive again. It's enough to make you confused and and worried and upset. It's all enough to make you wonder. Maybe the religious authorities are going to come after you. It's enough to send you running. So maybe that's what they were doing as they made their seven-mile journey to Emmaus. Maybe they were running to get as far away as possible from the circumstances. I wonder if that isn't a lot of what we might want to be doing right now running away from the circumstances. Put on our running shoes and just start running. If we could maybe we'd jump on a plane or board a cruise ship and go on a vacation but we know that's not possible. Our best escape is into Netflix and crossword puzzles and YouTube videos. We'd all like to run away from the circumstances. So it's interesting that on their run or walk to Emmaus, these two disciples of Jesus are are met by the risen Christ. But perhaps in their haste for Emmaus, they they don't recognize Jesus. He is to them a stranger. So Jesus innocently asks what they're up to, and they recount their time in Jerusalem and their witness of the undoing of the one they thought would redeem Israel and their confusion over all these things. And in response, Jesus invites them to go back. He invites them to go back into the story of Israel. And he recounts for them all of what their forebearers had said and done that had led up to this very moment. He invites them to take a step backward into history to see the ways that God had already been at work. And in stepping back, they might consider that maybe it was possible that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Right now, Jesus says, you can see only the circumstances at hand. You can see only the fog in front of you. You can see only that you can run away. But if you go back, Jesus says, if you remember the story, if you return to an earlier time and recount what God has said and done, then maybe you won't have to run. Sometimes before you go forward, you need to go backward. And then, as if to illustrate the point, when they stopped for dinner, Jesus reenacted for them what he had done when he had fed the 5,000 and when he had fed the disciples at Passover, taking and blessing and breaking and giving the bread. And now, all of a sudden, their eyes were opened and they finally recognized him because sometimes you have to go backward before you can go forward. Sometimes before you can move ahead, you have to go back and remember the story. And so what did those disciples do when they saw Jesus, when they recalled the story, when they saw him vanish right in front of their eyes? Scripture says that they turned around and they went back to Jerusalem. And hasn't that always been the case that when you and I look back upon our lives, to when we have faced earlier times of uncertainty, uncertainty, when we hit the end of the riverbed and all we can see were mountains, when we were unsure of what it was going to take to move forward, when we go back and remember our story, we find that somehow, someway, the presence and love of God got us through. That the best way for us to go forward is to go backward and remember and see the gentle and invisible hand of God at work showing us the way forward. So I remember back to September 11, 2001 and serving a church outside of New York City and watching that day on the television, those planes hitting those towers and, and knowing that I had congregation members in those towers and friends in those towers. That in our town, there were scores of families with family in those towers. And we weren't even sure what was going to happen next. Was there going to be another attack? And we called for people to come together and pray. And, and we learned over those next few days the awful news that so many of those that we loved would not be coming home. And we did our best to figure out what to do to care for these hurting people. And at one point I just remember thinking to myself, what am I supposed to do as a pastor? It seems just so big. And I feel so helpless. So when I today look backward to that time, I realize that somehow, still, the love and presence of God got us through. Not perfectly, but we got through it. And I think, that, I think of that now when I think about where we are today. Sometimes you have to go backward before you can go forward. Sometimes you have to go back to your own story, your own Jerusalem, before you head off to Emmaus. Perhaps it was providential that a few weeks ago, while in the process of moving my stepmother into a memory care unit, I came into possession of a pile of my father's old sermons. My stepbrother had found them when clearing out the house and delivered them to me. Sermons, many of which I had heard before, but there they were now, this pile of my father's preaching. So when the whole COVID-19 situation broke out and we were closing the campus and I was worried about what are we going to do next and I couldn't find the manual for how to lead a congregation through a pandemic. Early in the morning, I would wake up and I would go over to that pile of sermons. None of them, of course, talked about a pandemic. But out from that pile came a sermon that had as its question... Will things work out? Will things work out? This sermon written by a child of the Depression, a veteran of World War II and the Korean War, a civil rights marcher, pastor for 50 years. And he asked the question Will things work out? And the verse he reaches to in his sermon is the verse he always reached to, John sixteen thirty three. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I had heard those words a thousand times before, but in looking back again, to hear them almost as if for the first time, will things work out? Yes, things will work out, but to go forward, we have to go backward. Reading Todd Balsinger's account of Lewis and Clark, maybe also go back and do some rereading of Stephen Ambrose's great history of the Lewis and Clark expedition, Undaunted Courage. And Ambrose writes that just at the point of Lewis and Clark facing those unexpected mountains, just at the point of their facing that new and unexpected terrain for which they did not feel prepared, just at the point when they thought they could go no further, and they had at that same time, thinking they could go no further, they had heard stories they had heard stories of those who had gone before them, stories of those who had previously made the journey, the Native Americans who had made the journey themselves, and as harrowing as it was, had survived. So at the point of the deciding whether to go forward or whether to abandon the expedition, Meriwether Lewis looked backward, and as he looked backward and heard those stories, Of those who had preceded him, he wrote in his journal this entry, our course is now settled. I feel perfectly satisfied that if our friends, the Indians, could pass these mountains along with their women and children, that we could also pass these mountains. The good and unexpected journey One more thing. When we look backward, Scripture tells us that when Elijah was on his run and when the followers of Jesus were on their run, Scripture says that at some point a heavenly being arrived and fed them. Arise and eat, the angel said to Elijah, otherwise the journey will be too great for you. Take and eat, the risen Jesus says, and remember me and the travelers arose, and they ate, and they continued on the strength of that heavenly food. As alone as we might feel, we are never alone. So friends, yes, the river has turned to mountains, but there are those who have gone before, and the love and presence of God has been enough. His grace is sufficient. We will get through this. Things will work out. We will most certainly pass these mountains. It's just that sometimes you have to go backward before you go forward.